Welcome to our service this Resurrection Sunday. In a very special way today, we're just going to focus on uh, the greatest series of events in all of history, having to do with uh, the journey of Jesus to the cross, his powerful death for us in the crucifixion, and the resurrection. And we're looking forward to this day. We want to glorify God in our worship, in our study of the Word of God. Uh, at the cl conclusion of uh, our service uh, today, the preaching, we'll have a series of announcements. We welcome you today to our service on this Resurrection Sunday. We're very lo much looking forward to what the Lord has for us in a very concentrated way. We want to focus on the series of events that changed the world, the most uh, important events of all history, having to do, of course, with Jesus' uh, death on the cross for us, his bodily resurrection, and we want to glorify God today in our worship, in our study of his word. In just a moment, we'll have prayer and begin our time together today. Uh, just an announcement, though, that at the end of the preaching time today, we'll have a series of special announcements uh, that you'd want to stay tuned for. Let's have prayer. Trust the Lord to meet with us in a special way. Our Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege of uh, just knowing you, of having your word before us. We thank you for this special time of the year as we celebrate your great love for us and the greatest sacrifice ever made. And we're just grateful, Lord, that we can uh, just worship you and praise you. And Lord, learn more about you and love you more today. Thank you for the reality of the empty tomb and what it means in our life. Please be glorified, be thanked, be praised, be worshiped in this place today. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want us to begin today by reading a portion of scripture in Matthew chapter 27. I'd invite you to find that uh, in your Bible today as we look into the word of God together. And in this passage, uh, Matthew wrote about this most important of all human events in our history, and that is the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And I want to begin by just reading a few verses, uh, beginning in verse 35, just the first four words, if you'd look there in Matthew 27 and verse 35, where the word of God says, and they crucified him. Four simple words, but words that uh, are used to describe the great sacrifice of Christ for us. They crucified him. And if you look down in verse 39, it says, and they that passed by reviled him. Though, that refers to those who walked by the cross when Jesus had been crucified when he was hanging on the cross and they passed by 
reviled him, wagging their heads and saying in verse 40, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. This was their, their, their words to Jesus as he's hanging there on the cross. You know, you said that you'd destroy the temple and build it in three days. Save yourself, save thyself. And then these words in verse 40, If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Come down from the cross. Verse 41, likewise also, in addition to those that walked by and reviled him, likewise also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and elders said, he saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. So we find in verse 40 and in verse 42 these words come down from the cross. I want to emphasize that because we'll come back to it later. We're going to look at this matter of why Jesus did not come down from the cross. But before that, we want to deal with the reason Jesus was on the cross. We want to be reminded about that and really ask ourselves this question today. Who was responsible for this great injustice for Jesus being on the cross? Who, who is to blame for what is transpiring here that Matthew is writing for us in this 27th chapter of his gospel? And one might say, for instance, well, it was Judas's fault because Judas betrayed Jesus. He was responsible for this great injustice in Matthew chapter 26. And by the way, we're going to look at a number of verses today, and I'd encourage you to turn to those passages if you're able to uh, with us. But in Matthew chapter 26... And verse 14, it says this, Then one of the twelve, one of the twelve apostles, those closest to Jesus, then one of the twelve called Judas Iscariot went unto the chief priests. Notice the group of people he went to, the chief priests, and said unto them, What will you give me? And I will deliver him, talking about Jesus, unto you. And they covenanted with him for 30 pieces of silver. And from that time, he sought opportunity to betray him. So we could easily point the finger at Judas and say, what if Jesus had not been betrayed by Judas to the chief priests? Perhaps it was Judas's fault. And Judas certainly was a part of the narrative, we know. But then maybe we could blame it on Pilate and specifically the cowardice of Pilate. Pilate uh, knew and even declared that Jesus was without fault. He said, I find no fault in him. Uh, but Pilate was a politician and he feared men more than he respected the truth and obviously more than he feared God. He caved to pressure and gave in to this demand that Jesus be crucified. So we could blame Pilate at least give part of the blame to Pilate. But what about the chief priests? We've already mentioned these priests a couple of times. And I want to take a few more minutes and just look at the conspiracy of these chief priests. Look with me further back in Matthew, to Matthew chapter 26. And in Matthew chapter 26, in verse 1, uh, 
the Bible says, and it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings. Jesus had been teaching his followers. He'd been teaching his disciples. And he said unto them, he said unto his disciples, you know that after two days is the feast of the Passover. That gives us a timeline. It's just about the time of the crucifixion. After two days is the feast of the Passover, and the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. Jesus is telling his disciples that. Now look in verse 3. Then assembled together the chief priests and the scribes and the elders of the people under the palace of the high priest who was called Caiaphas. Verse 4. And they consult, or excuse me, and consulted that they might take Jesus by subtlety and kill him. So the chief priests, the religious elitists, they're conspiring to have Jesus killed. And to me, that this part of the story is such a cruel and unseemly part of the narrative of Jesus' uh, crucifixion. Also in Matthew chapter 26, if you'll look with me please, in verse 56. And in verse 56, uh, the last part of verse 56, this is after Jesus agonized in Gethsemane after the betrayal of Judas in verse 56, the last part, it says, Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. All the disciples forsook Jesus. Verse 57. And they that had laid hold on Jesus when they apprehended him there in Gethsemane led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. So they immediately took Jesus and they took him to the high priest. In chapter 26, a couple of verses later, look in verse 59. Now the chief priests and elders and all the council sought false witness against Jesus to put him to death. We just see this going on, being repeated, other uh, glimpses of this horrible conspiracy on the part of the chief priests. Still in Matthew chapter 26, look in verse 63. But Jesus held his peace, and the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. They're trying to trick Jesus. They're trying to find a reason to kill him. And so he asked Jesus for a direct answer. Are you the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the deliverer of Israel, the savior of the world? Are you the son of God? Verse 64, Jesus saith unto him, thou hast said, nevertheless I say unto you, hereafter shall you see the son of man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest rent his clothes, saying, He hath spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold, now you have heard his blasphemy. Verse 66. What think ye? They answered and said, He is guilty of death. We're talking about who was responsible for the great travesty that is taking place in Jerusalem. Was it Judas? Was it Pilate? Was it the chief priests? And the chief priests certainly 
had a role. If you look in chapter 27 and verse 1, it says, When the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. This is all that they were obsessed with, the death of Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 27, one last reference to the chief priests. In verse 20 it says, Matthew 27, 20, But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas, Barabbas who is a convicted criminal, but we would like for him to be released. We are asking for him to be released and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said unto them, Whether of the twain will you that I release unto you? They said, Barabbas, Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all say unto him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why? What evil hath he done? But they cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. It seems like the perfect storm. Jesus has been betrayed by one of his inner circle, the ruling official, Pilate, did not have the backbone to release him. And the powerful religious establishment were bent on his destruction. So there's blame to be to go around. And surely all of these people had a role in what eventually led to the crucifixion of Jesus. But ultimately, we have to recognize this was God's plan from the beginning. This was God's plan, not just from the beginning of the New Testament era, but from the very beginning, even before time as we know it. You know, the Bible says this in the book of Revelation. These are words worth thinking about. It refers to Jesus as the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. In other words, before there ever was a man, before there ever was sin in the Garden of Eden, before the foundation of the world, Jesus was the Lamb, capital L, Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. Before, before there ever was the need for a Savior, Jesus, in the economy of God, in the plan of God, was the sacrifice. In uh, Psalm 22, <coughs> excuse me, a passage that was prophesied hundreds of years before Jesus ever was, uh, came to this earth, the incarnation. Psalm 22, it says this, a prophecy, they pierced my hands and my feet. Imagine that. The psalmist wrote about how the Messiah would have his hands and his feet pierced. And then if you go into the New Testament, when Jesus in John chapter 10 was teaching, and Jesus said, I am the good shepherd the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. And then just a few verses after that, Jesus said, I lay down my life that I may take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. So who was really responsible for Jesus' death on the cross as far as causing it to happen, making it happen. And the answer to that is Jesus was. God the Father was. It was predetermined. He was in that horrible place on the cross 
because he chose to be there. You know, the Bible records a lot about Jesus' death and how he died and this, this matter of crucifixion. And it was such a horrible event as far as what took place. And the torture of Jesus wasn't just when they nailed his hands and his feet to the cross. The torture began before the official execution was concerned. I mentioned earlier that in uh, chapter 26 of Matthew, I'm going to look at that myself, um, when Jesus is there before the high priest and when they're calling for his death, it says in Matthew 26, verse 66, what think ye? And they answered and said, he is guilty of death. These are these religious people. And look what it says in verse 67. And they did spit in his face and buffeted him. And others smote him with the palms of their hands. That was the kind of treatment that Jesus was receiving. And this leads on up through this time up to the cross and the official crucifixion. He was beaten by the priests. And then in chapter 27, if you look there in verse 26, we find that, as we read a moment ago, that Pilate released um, Barabbas, Matthew 27 and verse 26, then released he Barabbas unto them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. This is before the crucifixion. He ordered that Jesus be scourged. And most people are familiar with this, but it's not something that we would know um, unless we're Bible readers probably. But scourging was a brutal form of Roman punishment. As a matter of fact, it was so brutal, Roman citizens could not be scourged legally. It was public. It was shameful. It was horrific. A part of it was the degradation, the fact that people would uh, have committed such a crime that they'd have this, this part of the pain of the crucifixion was just the humiliation and the shame and the degradation. The whipping, which uh, if you study it, just many, many people agree with this testimony. The whip was not just a whip, but it was uh, sometimes called the cat of nine tails, strips of leather, and they'd have stones or other things in there to just just tear up a person's body, to rip the, the flesh off a person's body. And it was really designed as such a form of torture. It would bring the victim as close to death as possible without them actually dying. And some subjects wouldn't even survive the scourging. This all happened before Jesus was crucified. Beaten by these, spit upon and beaten by these priests going through this Roman torture of scourging. And then Matthew chapter 27 and verse 27, after he was, uh, deliver, after he was scourged, then uh, verse 26, he was delivered to be crucified. Look in verse 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. They get a whole group of soldiers together. And... What did they do? Look in verse 28. They stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. More humiliation, more mocking. And then verse 29, And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand. 
And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head. And after that, they had mocked him. They took the robe off him and put on his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. So now he's being tortured, beaten at the hand of Roman soldiers. And all of that before he was crucified. And then we find as we began reading earlier in verse 35, those four words of Matthew 27 and 35, and they crucified him. They crucified him. They attached him. They laid, they laid a Roman cross on the ground and they attached him to that Roman cross. They say that sometimes in a crucifixion they would tie the subject's hands and feet, ankles to the cross and lift them up. But the Bible says that in Psalm 22 that they pierced his hands and his feet. So we know that they nailed him to the cross. They nailed his hands to the cross. They nailed his feet to the cross. You know, they took him then once he's nailed to the cross, and they lifted him up. Three times in the New Testament, it uses the phrase lifted up to describe the event. And it was there on the cross that he cried out. Look in verse 46 of Matthew 27. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You know, the Bible says this about Jesus, him who knew no sin was made to be sin. Peter said that he bare our sins in his own body on the tree. When Jesus became sin for us on that cross, even God the Father, because his own son, sinless son, had been, become the sacrifice for sin. Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And there Jesus died. In verse 50 it says, and Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. There he died. What a death. What a sacrificial death. It does us well to think about this, what Christ went through for us, the price that he paid for our redemption. When I read uh, this passage in Matthew 27 to begin, I emphasized in verses 40 and 42 uh, the words uh, that are said by two different groups of people, but the exact same words. Verse 40, the last few words of the verse says, come down from the cross. And in verse 42, the words of the chief priests as they mocked him with the scribes and elders. In verse 42, it says, now come down from the cross. And I was reading this and thinking about it and meditating upon what Christ done for us. I, I was reminded of a question that I've thought about many times. And I just want to ask the question and answer it for us today. What was it that kept Jesus on the cross? Twice they said, come down from the cross. And why didn't he come down for the cross, from the cross? Well, I want to say, first of all, it wasn't the nails that he had in his hands and his feet that kept him on that cross. There's a passage earlier in chapter 26 where Jesus said, basically, and I paraphrase, don't you know I could call legions of angels, thousands of angels, and they would come and deliver me? It wasn't the nails that kept Jesus on the cross. It wasn't the Roman soldiers 
that kept Jesus on the cross? I can say with certainty today, I believe it was love that kept Jesus on the cross. He, he came to die for us. And he stayed on that cross. He went to the cross and he stayed on the cross because of his love. First of all, his love for his heavenly father. His love for the father. That he would obey the father's will. But also his love for sinners. It was his love for sinners that brought him to this earth. It was his love for sinful man. Separated from God because of their sin that Jesus went to that cross. It was his love for us that caused him to endure such shame, such torture, such pain, such agony of soul. His love for you. Not just his love for people in general, but his love for me. His love for you and, of course, his love for all mankind. Isaac Watts said it like this in his hymn. See from his head, excuse me, see from his head, his hands, his feet, Sorrow and love flow mingled down. Referring to the blood of Jesus. Sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet? Or thorns compose so rich a crown? What kept him on the cross? It was his love for us. You know, this is an unusual time that we live in. And so much uncertainty about so many things. But one thing is always certain. One thing will never change, and that's God's love for us. God's love is forever certain. It's an anchor for our troubled soul. It's, a, it's an anchor in times of difficulty. You know, we know he loves us because of what he endured for us. The Bible says, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. What kept Jesus on the cross? His love kept him on the cross. And as a part of that love, I'd say secondly, his commitment to his mission kept him there. <coughs> John records that Jesus said this to Pilate, and I quote, For this cause came I into the world. As he was talking to this Roman official and discussing who he was and why, why he was going through what he was going through, Jesus wasn't looking for a way out. He said, for this cause came I into the world. This is why I'm here. His commitment to his mission was the reason he followed through with his death on the cross. And it doesn't record this in Matthew's gospel, but John the Beloved records it in his gospel that just before his death, Jesus declared, it is finished. What was finished? His purpose for coming to this earth was finished. To pay for the sins of all the human race, to suffer and die as the lamb, the sacrificial lamb for sinners. He, he said just before he died, it's complete. It's finished. His purpose was fulfilled. The redemption of man was provided. The holy justice, the justice of a holy God was satisfied. You know, the cross was and is in every way the greatest victory 
everyone. The sins of every man were paid for. You know, when John the Baptist identified Jesus early in the Gospel of John, when John the Baptist identified Jesus, he did it this way. The Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. Not a sacrificial lamb like an Old Testament offering, a bullock, a lamb, a ram. All these things pointed to the death of Christ in the future. But John looked at Jesus and called him God's lamb, the lamb of God. And his sacrifice on the cross provides for all of our sins, all of us and all of our sins to be forgiven. My sins, every sin, past sins, present sins, future sins, sins of the spirit, sins of the flesh, sins in our thought life, sins in our words, sins in our actions, sins in our attitude. Every sin of every man can be forgiven. That's why Jesus came. He came into this world to save sinners. And not only did he die for our sins, but three days later he rose from the dead. My Bible is open here to Matthew 27, but in Matthew 28 in verse 1, it says, in the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, <coughs> early that Sunday morning, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. These women came to visit the place where the lifeless body of Jesus had been laid. Look in verse 5. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not, ye, for I know that you seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth forth, or goeth before you into Galilee. There shall you see him. Lo, I have told you. Not only did Jesus die for us, but he raised from the dead. You know, the crucifixion of Jesus could have been looked upon like a colossal failure. But as I said earlier, it was the greatest victory of all time. They placed the lifeless body of Jesus in a tomb. They stationed Roman soldiers around it to guard it. And yet he triumphed over death and came out of that tomb. And after he raised from the dead... The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 1 that he showed himself alive for 40 days. For 40 days, he made himself known to various groups of people. You know, on this subject of the resurrection, uh, in John's gospel, it records where Lazarus had died. And this is what Jesus said to the family of Lazarus. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me Though he were dead, yet shall he live. Jesus not only died for us, but he conquered death. He overcome death. And he promises that same victory over death for those who come to him by faith. He's, I want to read those words again. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Salvation is has been provided for for every person. 
And salvation is available for every person who comes to Jesus Christ. Salvation is not in a religion, not in any religion, not in all religions. Salvation is not given or awarded to people who who follow a series of religious activities or deeds. Salvation is in a person. It's in the person of Jesus Christ. And that includes forgiveness of sin. Salvation includes our sins being forgiven. But it also includes a new life. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. It's a new birth. It's a new life. And it's eternal life. It's a home in heaven. And all of this is because of Jesus Christ. And it's not because of Jesus Christ plus our baptism or Jesus Christ plus our church membership. No, it's in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. It's faith in Christ alone. And that wonderful passage in John chapter 3 where Jesus is promised, or Jesus is speaking and uh, dealing with Nicodemus and answering his questions, Jesus said this, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, talking about his death on the cross. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Whosoever believeth in him, whosoever puts their faith in him, whosoever trusts in him and his death on the cross for their salvation, just knowing this information does not save us. We must personally receive Jesus Christ as our Savior. Let me give you one clear example of how powerful this salvation is. When Jesus was dying on the cross, paying the sin debt for those who would come to him by faith, paying the sin debt for all men, but appropriated by those who would come to him by faith, there was a thief hanging next to him, a convicted criminal next to Jesus. And yet when he believed, put his faith in Jesus, he was saved right there. Jesus said to that man, this day you'll be with me in paradise. What powerful salvation. Right there on the cross, he received Jesus Christ as his Savior. And I just want to encourage you today on this Resurrection Sunday, if you've not done so, trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. There may be things that you say, well, I wish I knew all about this or I knew all about that. And and there's nothing wrong with that. Learn all you can. But none of us know everything there is to know about the Bible, about God. But we do know this. Christ died for our sins according to Scripture. And he was buried and raised on the third day according to the Scripture. And you can trust him today as your Savior. And maybe you feel like you need more Bible study. You need more material. You need more information. You don't fully understand. Contact us. Write us. Call the church. Email us. Talk to someone else. But for some today, you're, you're re- you know you've sinned. You know you've broken God's law. You know that Jesus died for you. You realize that the tomb is empty and salvation is a free gift to all who will come to Christ right where you are today. You could bow your heads and receive Jesus Christ as your Savior.
And I would urge you to do that today. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank God today for what the cross means to us. I thank God for what it means to me. Not only does it mean a lot to me because I was saved many, many years ago, back in the mid-70s, and by faith in Jesus Christ, my trust in Jesus Christ, I was born again. But it means a lot to me today because it's always a reminder of how much God loves me. It's always a reminder that our sins, you know, our sins have been forgiven. And the devil likes to remind us of all of our mistakes and all of our failures, but Jesus' blood was shed for our sins and the cross reminds us of God's love and his forgiveness. And if you're here listening today and watching today on this broadcast, right where you are, you could turn from your sin and ask Jesus Christ to save you. You could bow in your heart and bow your head and by faith look to Jesus Christ as your Savior and ask him to save you and forgive you. I would urge you to do that today. And if you do so, let us know. We'll help. We want to help you send some helpful information to you. So today we magnify our Savior. We magnify Jesus Christ. We magnify his death for us. We magnify his resurrection. And we, we just want to focus on the great gift, the great gift, the greatest gift, which is Jesus Christ. You know, there's so many reasons to be disturbed and troubled about what's going on in the world, but I'm telling you, this is the greatest source of hope. This is the greatest news there is, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's the greatest hope, a hope not just for this life, though he is with us in this life, but hope for eternal life. And I urge you today, if you have any hesitation about whether you're born again, that today you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. I'm going to pray in just a moment. But before I pray, right where you are, I'm going to ask you if you just bow your head for a moment and just thank God for the cross. Thank God for what it means. Thank God for what he went through for us. Thank God for the price he paid for us, the torture, the shame, the humiliation, the separation from the Father because of taking sin upon himself. Thank God for that. And if you're not saved in these moments, pray in your heart and ask Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins, to wash you spiritually because of the blood of Jesus Christ, and yield yourself to him. Let's bow our heads together for just a moment. And with our heads bowed, let's just personalize this message in our life. And then I'm going to pray in just a moment. Our Father, as we pray today, words cannot convey or describe 
the appreciation that you deserve for what you've done for us. Lord Jesus, thank you for all that you did for us on the cross. And up to that time on the cross, for all that you endured because of your love for us. Thank you for taking our sins upon your own body on the tree that we could be forgiven. And today, Lord, we love you because you first loved us. And Father, we pray for all those who will hear this message or see this broadcast. And we pray that through simple, biblical repentance and faith, others will trust Christ, put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. And we thank you for those things today. And we praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Once again, we thank you for being a part of our service on this Resurrection Sunday. And I'd just like to urge you, uh, if you found the music and the message, the things helpful to you today, that you'd share this online service with others, with friends, with your, uh, through Facebook or Twitter or uh, other platforms that you have to get the gospel out that other people can hear. It's the greatest news that people could ever hear is what Christ has done for us. I also want to remind uh, you as our church family uh, that our missionaries for this coming week is the Bluest family, Jeff Bluest and his family serving the Lord in the Philippines, our missionary of the week. And let's be mindful of them, and let's um, uh, pray for them, encourage them. There are hardly any countries in the world that aren't being affected by this uh, coronavirus, including these foreign missionaries that we know and love and support. So pray for them. And it's just another reminder that our giving is a part of getting the gospel out, not just times when we can assemble in this building, but uh, being faithful in our giving for the ministries here in our community and for the uh, missionaries that we support around the world. And as you know, there are numerous ways you can give, and people give by mailing their offering in. People give by dropping their offering here by the office. People give also online. Many people do that. And so, but let's be faithful in our giving and trust the Lord to use our participation for the salvation of souls and the furtherance of the kingdom of God. And just a final reminder that uh, services uh, tonight online will be at 6 p.m. and encourage you to tune in for that this evening as well. God bless you and have a great Lord's Day.